0: Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Hey guys, I'm your host, Ryan Key. And today we're talking about Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker, the final installment in the Skywalker saga. Long have I waited. (laughs) The end.
1: This is crazy. Fucking sweet. Crazy that we're taking this one apart. Also, everybody... If you can hang on to the end of what is sure to be uh, a drawn out discussion later on in the show, we are going to be joined by the Sith Lord of Pop Punk himself, Mr. Chad Gilbert of the band Newfound Glory for a uh, Star Wars and rock and roll chat. So stick around for that.
0: None other. Fucking A. Why is fucking A my thing? <laughs>
1: I don't know, but every time my mom tells me she likes the podcast, all I can think about is her listening to you going "fucking a, man" all the time.
0: <laughs> I just can't, I can't stop, dude. And it's okay, wh- it's okay, man. We're, we're adults; so you can say whatever you want. Ryan Phillips from my band, he finally listened and texted me, and he's like, "Dude, it's fucking great. It's so good. You guys are really passionate. Ryan Key is like really articulate and has makes some great points, and it's a good contrast to your, you know, just saying "fuck" all the time. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, he's not wrong. Would now be a cool time
1: to tell the story about my plane experience and why, why someone maybe couldn't come on the podcast, or should we save that for later? Let's see how it all shakes out. I still have hope.
0: Yeah. Because that's the theme, right? Yeah, hope is the theme of Thank the Maker. Well, give us the opening crawl of the final installment in this saga about hope. Here we go. Opening
1: crawl, episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. The Dead Speak. The galaxy has heard a mysterious broadcast. Parentheses, I read somewhere that the broadcast was actually broadcast in Fortnite once. End parentheses. A threat of revenge in the sinister voice of the late Emperor Palpatine. General Leia Organa dispatches secret agents to gather intelligence, while Rey, the last hope of the Jedi, trains for battle against the diabolical First Order. Meanwhile, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren rages in search of the Phantom Emperor. Determined to destroy any threat to his power that is um, that's a standout crawl I mean also the fact that the second it ends, we are just off to the races
0: yeah, straight out of the gate it's almost like a subtle irony because we know this film is like super breakneck speed the whole time, but the first shot of a person we get is in slow motion, which is not really a Star Wars thing so much
1: yeah it was new it was new the the beginning of this film felt completely different than any of the other films. You're just dropped into darkness, and there's no setup. There's, you know, it's just immediate slashing of dudes right? by Kylo Ren. It was intense. And to find out now the planet he was on was Mustafar is, is crazy. We'll get into this later. little bummed that that wasn't like made known in the film, but right. why would you not let us all revel in that and have to find out through... Back channels. You're right. JJ, come on, man. Call me. Let's talk about it. I, I, I loved the opening sequence. Wayfinders aside, I loved it.
0: So for the sake of trying to be efficient with this thing, because we're going to talk about a bunch of shit, let's just get straight into Stolen Plans. Yeah, man. What have you done with those plans? Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, was released on December 20th, 2019, directed by JJ Abrams. Can I say that... The release
1: date of this film gave me a Star Wars film within five days of my day of birth for five years in a row. Carry on.
0: A Star Wars tradition. Written by J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio. Chris Terrio, most notably the writer of Argo, starring um, Ben Affleck. Great film. Yeah, fucking great movie. Also, interestingly, writer of Batman versus Superman not on the same level
1: not a great film (laughs) not a great film hey let's take let's take one of the greatest moments in comic book history the death of of the most classic superhero of all time and cram it into the last 30 seconds of a three hour long film sure why not i don't want to see a movie about the death of superman that was a full graphic novel i want it to be four minutes long in a battle (laughs) sequence that's what i want
0: anyways carry on Moving on. As you know, if you've uh, listened to the one-quarter portion prior to this week, Colin Trevorrow was the original writer and original director on the project. He was uh, let go, so to speak, replaced by J.J. Abrams. This all happened after Carrie Fisher died, of course. If you want to hear more about that, go back and listen to the previous episode if you haven't. Returning to this film, starring, of course, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, despite not being alive for this. Anthony Daniels, Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Kelly Marie Tran, Lupita Nyong'o, Domino Gleeson, Jonas Suotamo. You left out one classic. Oh, fucking A. You're
1: living in that cockpit. I am. Where you can't talk to him about Star Wars.
0: (laughs) Harrison Ford. (laughs) Surprise fucking spoiler alert. Everybody knows these these are spoiler caps straight up. So if I just spoiled something, sorry about you. And returning, returning all caps in bold, the one and only Ian McDermott. The dead speak. The dead fucking speak. And Billy D. Williams, Colt 45. <laughs> Round right here, we ride the bull by the neck.
1: You remember that was his slogan for those commercials. Fucking Billy Back in the D. Day, that was the slogan. He might have even said, "Not the horns." <laughs> that might have been the whole thing. We ride the bull by the neck, not the horns. That's amazing. YouTube link to Billy D. Williams Colt 45 commercial in
0: the show notes, as it should be. <laughs> fucking a. Sorry. New characters. New actors coming into the Star Wars universe. Carrie Russell as Zori Bliss. Naomi Aki as Jenna. And Dominic Monaghan. Charlie. It's fucking Charlie from Lost as Beaumont. It's like the most sober I've ever seen him. It's not itching. That was a Lost joke. Hey, he kicked that habit. He stopped stealing babies and shit. It got better. Yeah. We've got a couple other new characters. Dio, little baby droid. Little wheel. Little conehead. And the now challenger for cutest tiny star Wars character challenging baby Yoda, the child Babu freak
1: where the last Jedi missed the mark with the little casino guy, the rise of Skywalker nailed it with Babu
0: crushed it. Dio was voiced by director JJ Abrams. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Pretty sweet. Babu freak. I don't know about that. (laughs) ready? If you, uh, if you go back and, and listen to Dio, you can actually hear JJ's voice in him. It's pretty cool. Sweet. Two-hour, 22-minute runtime. Long-ish. Could have been longer. I could have done a whole fucking additional hour, personally. Not long enough. Rated PG-13 again for sci-fi violence and action again. That's four in a row, right? Well, yeah, if we don't count the, the side films. All three of the new trilogy films were PG-13. Budgeted at an estimated 200 million, grossed 177 million opening week in the US, which somehow is a fucking failure, apparently. Grossed thus far 500 some odd million domestically. This has got to be more by now. It's still fresh, so who knows. Roughly 1 billion total worldwide to date, still somehow considered a failure. We should know what we should do. We should do a, at least a one quarter portion as like a sequel trilogy roundup and talk about the numbers and talk about that kind of perception.
1: Yeah, we should deep dive on the press and and the studio and and things that have been said about why you would consider a billion dollar gross a failure. It's crazy shit. Also it might be cool if we do something like that to to look at them in comparison with the original trilogy and see, did those taper off? Right. You know what was the thought behind that back then?
0: And look at all of it adjusted for inflation, which is obviously more accurate and interesting. So let's do that. I mean, I guess we, we should mention that this falls short of the prior to Skywalker saga films on all three of these points, opening weekend, domestic gross, and worldwide gross. It tapered off. Yeah.
1: And I think the polarization of The Last Jedi, unfortunately, made some fair weather fans maybe lost a little faith.
0: The award situation, uh, there were some nominations for effects and score, correct? Uh, neither of which won? Yeah, the usual. Yeah. The usual. Dude, can we just give John Williams another one just to wrap it all up? Could we have not yeah. just got given him another Oscar? I know. It's not like he doesn't have enough. He probably has a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. There's probably one named after him that I don't know about. But still, let's throw the dude another one. The score for this film was – it's funny because
1: I think if you're not an uber fan like us, you would be like, yeah, what, what are you talking about? It's just the Star Wars theme. But it's so much more than that. And this one was – this was the finale of the symphony. I mean it really was musically. So good. I was listening to it on my flight to Montana today, actually.
0: It's incredible how he, he dropped in, supposedly, something from every piece, from every theme in the entire saga, and he doesn't just, like, beat it over the head. It's snuck in there in these cool little spots. It's fucking great. He's a genius. Facts. This one was shot on 35 millimeter film again, which uh, you know I back, and in a bunch of new locations because we got a bunch of new planets, so they did... Some new things. I think starting with, like we talked about at the beginning, that slow-mo shot, I think J.J. went for, of course, something that fit thematically with the prior two, but I think he just said, fuck it, and made a modern J.J. Abrams film.
1: It was more contemporary Abrams than The Force
0: Awakens, to me. The whole film was. So let's talk about the trailer, I guess.
1: Yeah. My first viewing experience is tied to your first viewing experience you were texting me from Star Wars Celebration telling me what you had just seen and that it was on YouTube, you know, whatever that it had gone online and that I needed to watch it. And as your tears rolled, I was sitting in an airplane seat and I hate watching stuff like this on my, on my phone. I do. I hate it, but you, you you sold it and you got to see it in a much more packed friendly way on a big screen in a room. But I was like, if it's that intense, I have to see it. And, I was sitting in an airplane seat, like doing all I could to mask the tears rolling from my eyes. Like, can you imagine someone on the plane that n- doesn't really know or care about it, <laughs> right. looking over, looking over, and being like, "Are you okay?" And you're like, "Um, yeah, I was just watching the new Star Wars trailer." And, <laughs> and so that was, yeah, I was on a plane. I don't remember where I was going, but you, you used classic text like, "Dude." Period. Next text, (laughs) fuck, (laughs) period. Next text, dude, three periods. You know, like it was that kind of thing. And it was a, for whatever you think about the final result of this film, I personally think the trailer was undeniable. I mean, it was like all epic feels of Star Wars bundled into two minutes. Maybe the best that's ever been done. It was so climactic and so intense. And like the, what we now know is Raylo. Thing it was in there, you know, and it was heavy, and but you got
0: to see it in person with the the man himself coming on stage. Yeah, so I'll tell the story quickly. I was at Star Wars Celebration, like Ryan said, and they of course have the main hall with the panel where they they bring out the cast, they bring out J.J. Abrams, they bring out Kathleen Kennedy, the whole nine yards. I wasn't in the main hall, by the way. They're in the convention center. They do one big one, and then they have kind of smaller surrounding halls. And they broadcast from the main one to the others. So I was in one of those, still seeing the stage with this big-ass screen. It's like you're there still. I mean, you're in the building with all these other people. So they play the trailer. I'm with a a really, really good friend of mine. He's a really good friend, but I've never, like, cried in front of the dude, you know? I haven't, like, toured with him. We haven't, like, seen each other's dicks and stuff, you know? So, like, (laughs) we're both on the same level with Star Wars. But nonetheless, I hadn't, like, cried in front of the dude. And I wasn't—I still wasn't thinking about— The fact that everyone else in the room was probably crying, but I was like doing kind of the same thing, but completely failing, just tears streaming down my face. Because, of course, it kind of opens with that that shot of the Falcon swooping down and it's Leia's theme and that big full orchestra triumphant version. I lost it, like lost my shit because that's the one, that's the one. Like Carrie Fisher being gone and this all wrapping up, they just like, they really got us. They fucking got us. I agree. It's maybe the best trailer ever. So it was amazing. It ends. Everyone just stands up, goes ape shit, full standing ovation. And then fucking Ian McDermott comes out on stage to another standing ovation. And he's just standing there with the mic, like just grinning. Like he just knows how awesome the moment is. He's just, he, he can't even like begin to say the words. He keeps moving the mic closer. We keep cheering. And then finally we quiet down enough. And the dude just goes, roll it again. And they fucking play it again. So great. Like, oh, my God, I lost my mind. We all lost our shit. Thousands of people in this convention center. We just all lost our shit. It was incredible. Incredible. That's awesome. That's
1: better than a phone screen in an airplane seat. But nonetheless, it struck a chord. Pulled the strings. It's all true.
0: What about first time seeing the actual movie? Where were you?
1: I was in Jacksonville, Florida, where I was born and raised and my parents for the holidays. That's usually when I get back to my hometown. Is just around Christmas and New Year's. And so I went with my father, which is tradition, kind of. We try to go to all the new ones together. Since I was a little kid, we Star Wars has like been our thing. Thanks, Dad. Adam and myself and our 13 patrons, thank you. I was with my dad and two of my closest friends in the world, and it couldn't have been a better experience of being right where I wanted to be with exactly the people I wanted to be with to see the last chapter of the Skywalker saga. We saw it in Dolby um, at the AMC Regency in Jacksonville. And I, it was also confirmation again of like, I never want to see a film like that, like an action film or an adventure film, not in Dolby cinema. It, it's, yeah. it's just next level, man. And I, I think that might've been the first Dolby film that my dad has seen and so he was just like, you know, the whole way home, he was just talking like, Kip, leave the sound and your seat is just like vibrating in. And we talked about this earlier. Like, it's not the cheesy, like, you know, there's water on screen and they're like literally <laughs> splashing water on your face in the theater, which was like an, a thing for a minute. Right. This is just like the the low end in the theater is so intense and and the seat is designed to really feel the sub and stuff. And so, yeah, perfect sound, perfect picture and, you know, tradition with my dad and, two of my friends that are like the closest in in my life. And
0: so it was, it was really good, really special night. I loved it. Good shit. I saw it at home. Ronnie's in St. Louis again. Um, Marcus theaters, I guess they own Warenberg, Marcus Warenberg. I had seen others in the past there. I was with my wife and Kurt, same dude. I was at star Wars celebration with and his wife. And it was awesome as usual. Awesome. Same, same hometown vibes, same awesome theater. I've seen it three times in the theater to date. You've seen how many twice? I've
1: only seen it twice. And I'm I'm really bummed that I didn't get a chance to see it right now, kind of hot off the press for this episode of the podcast. And so to those of you listening that are supporting us, if I seem underprepared, it's only because I'm doing 10 million things in my life. And it was only playing at like 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. anywhere near me where I live right now. And I, I couldn't get away from the studio to go do it. I just couldn't, it wasn't possible. So I apologize for my lack of dedication, but I couldn't drive to orange County to see it at a regular movie time. <laughs> so yeah, I've only seen it twice. And at this point now, you know, I'm just waiting on my pre-order notification at midnight, whatever day that is to say it's ready. Yeah. So I I'll do, I'm going to do my best to photographically recall what I can from, from the film. Cause I haven't seen it since like the first week of January. So, that's kind of a bummer, but unfortunately, only two, I must report.
0: Dude, maybe, depending on how wiped out we are from other activities, when I'm in L.A., maybe we could see it again if worse playing it. Because we'll be in Orange County. A full day at Galaxy's
1: Edge and then Rise of Skywalker? I hate that. <laughs> why, why would I ever do that?
0: I don't even like Wars. <laughs> so, we kind of talked about some of our general thoughts. Let's run down a list, though, here, and then get into kind of the main categories. Uh, we talked about how much we love the score talked about kind of the fast pace there's one thing that i have here in the notes that i I found out talking before this you are not on board with the fast-paced almost like indiana jones treasure hunt vibe yeah especially when they get to pasana i was into it but tell me how you feel briefly. but
1: that that's the magical thing about this franchise or something for everyone yeah we touched on this a little bit in the last episode um when we when we covered the last jedi and i hate to bring back up something that I that I didn't like, especially this early in the episode, but when we were talking about the um, Finn and Rose story arc in Last Jedi, and I said something along the lines of like, they just could have done such a more classic Star Wars caper vibe of sneaking on to the Death Star and sneaking back off of it, you know, sneaking on to Snoke's ship and sneaking off of it instead of all the extra shit they did that took away from the mission, really, in the end, in my mind. And I feel like while I'm, Definitely satisfied with the arc of the story and the ending and the themes of this film and all three of the films, and and I think the reason I'm sad, I feel satisfied still, and I felt satisfied both times I left the theater, is because even though they use these these clues and these tools to get where they needed to go, I still don't think that the film, as some people will argue, just was relying on those. Right. Yeah. There was enough going on with character development and story connected to the past that kept me engaged. But that said, I kept waiting for Nick cage to just show up <laughs> right. and be like, Hey guys, I know where the wayfinder is. You know, I, I just, and maybe if it was just one, one of them or two of them, you know, I, I just, we'll get in the vibes later. But that's a thought of mine is that I feel like maybe the, as you put it, Indiana Jones adventure vibe was a little overused in this film. And I don't think I'm alone in thinking that, but I didn't mind the fast paced vibe, which everyone is so butthurt about though. I I didn't mind the first two acts of the film being like boom, boom, boom. And in fact, I read um, something getting ready for this episode that Chris Terrio admitted that there actually was a brief second where around the table, the writer's table with Disney, there was a conversation of potentially this being two films. Yeah. You know, a, a, a Harry Potter style finale. He said it never went into, you know, full discussion. And that was kind of that, but he fully admitted that himself, which I assume means also J.J. Abrams, would have been 100% down to do that. Yeah. You know, you and I have been very vocal about how much we're on the train of like, give us all of it. We don't care. If it's not good, we'll say it's not good and we won't watch it. But that doesn't (laughs) mean stop making it for the sake of just not making it. But I think that obviously would have helped with the pacing of the film. But that said, like, it maybe was a little more extreme than any of the other films have been. But in the Star Wars universe and especially the Skywalker saga you're always jumping from system to system and plot line to plot line you're always doing that right uh, this had a little bit of the game of thrones challenge to end multiple story arcs multiple character arcs at the same exact moment when the credits roll all the stories are over and not every character is necessarily at the end of their arc so how do you evolve them to the end at the same time of call it the lee of ray you know how do you make everyone catch up with her and so All that said, the pacing didn't bother me because I feel like I understand how, like, as a writer, that's a huge challenge, and you literally can't do it right. You can't take a story like this with that many characters and properly end all their— So if you want to be a hater, be a hater. If you want to say, hey, man, you did the best you could, and I really loved the movie, that's probably better for your mental health, and that's how I came out of the film.
0: (laughs) I'm in the same boat. I could have used a little pumping of the brakes here and there, mainly in the way that it affected, I think, some dialogue. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's obvious that like the sort of bullet list that they probably had to get the movie under X amount of time, whatever, snipped out some dialogue that would make certain lines or a series of lines a little more poetic, a little better, rather than it being almost trailer style, the way that things seem to be just like chopped together. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've read that, that that a lot of people feel like the first half of the film felt like a movie trailer. Yeah. And maybe that's true, but- Okay, it was just a really badass, super long movie trailer. Then, I mean, the visuals—again, talked about this in the last Jedi too. Like, there's so many components to making a film, and the visuals in this film were fucking wicked good, unreal. The energy of like just blasting around to all these different planets and all this kind of intensity. I'm with you in that. Like, sure, there—I'm sure there are moments that could have been slowed down, but it didn't make the film not work for me.
0: Agreed. Just going down some, like, thoughts I I put down here a few. I don't want to get too deep into them. I thought there was a lot of good humor. 3PO was, like, really key in this one. Yeah, he was a rock star in this movie, for sure. But they roast the fuck out of him. Like, they really hit him hard. There were some moments I was like, oh, man, poor 3PO. Yeah,
1: they went a little deep with
0: Poe's loathing of 3PO. Like, it's like, come on, man. It's like Han on his worst day.
1: Yeah, exactly. We know you're going for the Han Solo thing, but Han really only did it in moments of extreme crisis. And I feel like Poe was doing it even when they were like sitting around the dinner table. Like right. you know what I mean? There was no no need to be so mad at him at, at all times.
0: Right. But. Um. Let's see.
1: I'll bring up the note that you ha- that we we have about um the writing being a bit limited by the death of Carrie Fisher and. I bring that up because I think it goes into another really important point of contention in this film and and people's reaction to it was Kelly Marie Tran's role in the film and how she's only in a minute and 16 seconds of the film instead of having an entire arc. Turns out that almost all of her scenes, they were still going to be more limited then The Last Jedi, I still personally do not believe that that is because uh, they were giving in to trolls on the Internet. I think no. as I just went on a, t- you know, a rant about ending all these story arcs, if you're going to give Rose more backstory and more stuff, that's more stuff you have to end at the end of this film. Either way, though, it turns out that most of her scenes were shot at the Resistance base with Leia. It, Rose and Leia were sort of counterparts in the behind the scenes solving of the problems originally in the writing of this film. And so JJ is on record talking about how they were going to use already recorded footage and that he was not going to do any CGI enhancement on an actor's face or anything like that because he, he and Carrie's family didn't want to do that. And I really respect the shit out of that. And I think, with what he had, what a miracle, what a marvel in film and technology that he was able to do what he did with the footage he had. And so Kelly Tran is on record in interviews talking about how most of the reshoots for this film were done with her. Oh wow! Most of everything they had to do was because they weren't getting these scenes with you know reusable footage to work the way Abrams wanted them to work. And in the end, he finally made the call and said, We can't use it. It's not living up to what I want to do for Carrie Fisher's legacy. And so therefore, who knows how much more she would have been in the film, but the writing being heavily based on Carrie Fisher obviously affected the film as a whole. I'm sure how much more she might have been involved as Leia, but something that, really mattered about this film that people talked about a lot was Rose's character and how she went from being a key feature in The Last Jedi to being in one minute of this film and I just did a little digging and found out that
0: that's why, so. That makes sense. That's fucking tough, man. Like, you think about anyone criticizing this film who feels like in whatever fucking universe their opinions and what they would have done is somehow better than these fucking absolute experts that are actually at the top of this shit. Yep. You motherfuckers go out there and try to make a movie with a person who no longer exists on this planet to wrap up a story spanning 42 years. Yeah. Dude, the shit that they had stacked up against them is insane.
1: Yeah, that's an impossible you know? task because I remember thinking before the movie came out, in our, our thing we talk about when it's like, you, you know, you make the movie for yourself before you know anything about it, you know? Yeah. I always had this vision of episode nine starting with a funeral procession, as in the general has died, and that's kind of opening crawl material. Yeah. And it leads us into and everyone would have understood you know, no, everyone would have been like, yeah, OK, what a killer tribute to this. You know, I think it's way better that that didn't have to happen because it was incredible to get to see her on screen and leads to probably my favorite moment of the entire film is is because she got to be in the film. Yeah. her Her death affected this film in so many ways. And kudos to the whole team top to bottom for respecting her memory and her legacy and doing right by her and her family and, you know, not making a CGI mess of her character. And I think a, le- a lesser director may have.
0: Reed, I have a few things in, in the thoughts here.
1: I, really quick. I would say though, just another thought I, I want to redeem my, my negativity at the beginning of our, of our thoughts segment. While I sort of wish there were less plot points reliant on an artifact. I do think that the scenes around the artifacts were, Unreal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like we can talk about that in favorite scenes too. But you know the cave and the ocean and the Deuce and the water, uh, and what we now know is Mustafar. That scene was gorgeous and violent and awesome. And so I just wanted to clear up that I had some qualms with it, but I loved the adventure. I enjoyed the ride, and a lot of that has to do with cinematography and set building and all that stuff that that I'm a geek for.
0: Agreed. Badass scenes. So let's get into the next segment.
1: A certain point of view? Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view.
0: The big one, right out of the gate, starting with the very first words of the crawl, the very idea that Palpatine is at the center of the story, a lot of people were were really unhappy with. Mm -hmm. And I don't think either of us even remotely agree.
1: Not even remotely I don't even need to talk about it for a long time. I don't even know that. I haven't already said everything that would involve Palpatine being in this film in our previous episodes. Yeah. But when Anakin Skywalker wants to evade death in episode three, when he is at the show with Palpatine, they have a conversation about evading death and powers that people might consider not PC. Unnatural. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm done. The end. Are we done with the episode? (laughs) There there it is. Hello. You're talking about the most powerful Sith Lord of all time going back thousands of years and generations of them. And you're going to think that there is not some possibility that the black magic that those fools can conjure up can raise you from the dead. I mean, we can make animals out of DNA like in a test tube. You can take a swab of DNA and clone an animal. You probably at this point could clone a human with that. I don't don't know. Not my forte. Yeah. Cloning and the actual facts behind that science are not something I am versed or schooled in. But my point is that to expect that the technology in the Star Wars universe is not advanced enough to clone something. Oh, wait a second. Clone. Is that a word that's used in this story at all? Is there ever clones? Do they clone anything? Do they know how to make something from
0: the source material? Turns out it's half of the whole fucking thing almost.
1: oh you're right so if you have an issue with it being the story choice like well yeah he can come back to life but i don't agree with that i think that's an, a cop out and there are people who take that lane but more people take the lane of like whoa well, yeah right like he could have come back to life well how did he come exactly. back look we now know that the deuce crashed down in the water you know on that moon all life comes from water bro he was His body was down in that water, and you know what? Someone came and found it, and you don't need to know that. And you know what? There's going to be a novel or a comic book that's going to tell us exactly what happened, I bet. Yeah. With all the content they're putting out, that they, they're putting into canon. Can you tell I'm fired up about this? <laughs> um, but I'm done. That's it. That's all I got. The Clone Wars, they clone things. Yeah. They defy death as Sith power from the beginning of the story. I don't know what else to say. Sorry if I stole all that from you. I
0: just don't know what else to say. I I, I fully agree. It's a waste of time to even even say any more about it. But like on a story level, yeah, you could go someplace completely different. But we're wrapping up, again, the Skywalker saga. So the like ultimate evil at the very beginning should probably be the ultimate evil at the very end. I don't think it's that much of a a cop-out to do that we're done with that i'm gonna
1: read i'm gonna read a, um, a quote from someone who would enjoy this conversation we're having because be on our side and i apologize to whoever wrote this article because i screenshotted it and i didn't go to the top and screenshot that to get the writer so i'm really sorry nonetheless the quote is pretty great it says and yet it's such a smart and satisfying way of concluding the skywalker saga It really does mean there's a continuous narrative running through the prequels, the original trilogy, and now the sequels. They are all the story of how the light side of the Force battled against the greatest Sith Lord of all time. The greatest Sith Lord of all time. Of all time. How about of all time? Lucasfilm. President Kathleen Kennedy confirmed that Palpatine had always been expected to return. In fact, there's some evidence that George Lucas himself may have intended this to happen. I don't buy that because I've always read the opposite, but wherever this person is getting their information from, maybe he knows more than me. There have been comments from people involved with the original trilogy that he'd envisioned the Emperor to be in episode nine. I don't know about the last part, but everything else before it, I completely agree with wholeheartedly. Yeah. Of all time.
0: Okay, moving on. Moving on. Lightspeed skipping. So I went full nerd on this and did some math. I'm so excited that I just went on my rant so that you can go on yours. So everyone was all fucking up in arms about this. Like, oh, cool, here's another made up thing, like like a Michael Bay style just made up. I personally thought the light speed skipping shit at the beginning was fucking awesome. Agreed. It was like Tokyo Drift Star Wars almost and just fit right in with who Poe is. As a pilot, like, on the abilities level, on the, like, seat of his pants, Maverick, Pushing Top Gun. Envelope. Yeah. A lot of the complaints are like, that couldn't happen. They just made that shit up. You know, it took X amount of time, f- you know, because you have to calculate so you don't fly through a supernova or whatever. So I did the math. You watched a film and timed it, how long it took to do the calculation. I did. So in A New Hope, Han says it, do so-and-so while I make the calculations for the jump to light speed, gets up, presses a button on the console— 54 seconds, to calculate the jump to light speed. This was 42 years before this movie. So if we assume that Moore's Law, for anyone who doesn't know Moore's Law, it's the idea that every 18 months, a computer processor for the same price will be twice as fast. You get this price performance doubling every 18 months. It's been consistent since the beginning of computers. It basically applies to technology in general. There's an interval X amount of time. It's twice as good. For the same price and so on. So if we assume this applies to the Star Wars universe, which it should, forty-two years later, the upgraded Nava computer in the Falcon, because they undoubtedly would have upgraded shit, just I mean, we've got like jets from the 70s still flying that have new computers in them on Earth. It's it's a thing. Well, some
1: move milker put a compressor on the hyperdrive.
0: They were trying <laughs> right. to modify. They were trying to fast and furious that bitch. He needs Nas. So forty-two years later, following Moore's Law, if he's doing upgrades, That should make that computer roughly 96 million times faster. In the same way that, like, my Apple Watch is faster than the computers that were in the Apollo spacecraft that took us to the moon. Just the way computers work. It's fucking bonkers, but that's the way shit works. So that means it could have done the same calculation that took 54 seconds 42 years ago. It could do the same calculation in 0.00000056 seconds. That's six zeros after the point. To clarify, it could do the same calculation 1.8 million times in a second. Does that make sense to everyone? Dude,
1: you just dropped the hammer on the critics in this week's from a certain point of view. I mean, hammer, smash, murder, death, kill, sub-zero, fatality. Fuck, kill, Mary, Dude, that is insane. It's almost like, based on those stats... It could have been even gnarlier than it
0: was in the movie. I mean, even assuming like it was a 20 year old computer in the thing, still.
1: Okay, so it could do it in 5. 540,000 times in a second.
0: <laughs> I think they've got it under control. They can do whatever the fuck they want. So, end of story. Moving on. Luke and Leia supposedly knew about Ray's bloodline. Luke mentions this to Ray. I guess when she goes back to Octo and she's 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 having a temper tantrum on the crashed uh tie fighter, right? I get how it's a little like, hey man, you couldn't tell her about this? You couldn't talk about it? I get it. But taking into account the fact that Luke cut himself off from the Force until halfway through The Last Jedi, it's hard to know when he actually learned about it, whether he was even alive when he learned about it. True. It could have been during his time with her on Octo, could have been after he died, became one with the Force learned some shit from some Force peoples. And who knows when Leia actually found out. I don't know. Thoughts on this? Did this I, bother you at all? I, honestly,
1: full disclosure, didn't even know this was a thing. <laughs> Again, this is part of what my disclaimer earlier about not being able to see, see the film, you know, immediately prior to us having this discussion. I don't recall a, a specific declaration that they knew who she was.
0: I don't even remember that. So so it was in that throwback to Obi-Wan and Luke Force ghost conversation on Octo there. And I guess the biggest gripe is the idea that Luke kept it from Rey, being a dude who had something kept from him that he felt really kind of let down and disappointed by.
1: If we do the timeline that he didn't know in The Last Jedi, if, if we assume that your point of him being cut off from the Force for 20 years or however long it was valid point probably probably you know in order to know everything that's happening in the galaxy you probably would have to be tapped into the all-powerful force that connects the galaxy but that's just so if he taps back into the force and finds out this information and then does end up disclosing it to her that he knew he doesn't disclose when he found out part of him finding out could have also been the fact that he's tapped back in and holy shit palpatine is back in as well because if grandpa chief trying to stay hidden from everyone, he's going to be blocking himself from, from everyone, you know, Luke included. And if all of a sudden he's like, Hey, I'm broadcasting now I'm back. You know, all of those feelings would have come flooding in. Oh my God, that's who Ray. That's how this is all connected. You know, I feel like that's the revelation that Luke would have. I just don't think it's that important. I don't don't think it's a a point to get to, you know, like it's something that people are deep diving to pick apart. Agreed. And if Leia knew, I feel it's on, Brand, an in character for her to not tell someone. She was the motivating leader of the resistance and the rebel alliance. She's a she's a motivator. She she would have wanted Ray to find herself.
0: Right. Again, Oracle style, the Matrix.
1: Yes. And I think the training montage with the two of them implies that, that she's letting her find
0: find her own way. She's she's dropping breadcrumbs too, you know. Never be afraid of who you are. Mm -hmm. She says. Totally on brand to me. Keeping with that thread, the reveal about Palpatine. I'm going to agree that the dialogue here was not the best in the film, but Leia does say something. She says always in the shadows from the beginning or something like that about Palpatine. That line is so good, and it goes so
1: to the point of our last episode and talking about dialogue. Yeah. That's classic Star Wars.
0: It it goes back to what we just talked about with the prequels. Leia grew up in a political family. She was the adopted daughter of the senator of Alderaan, Bail Organa, who was right there in the middle of all the shit when everything went down with Palpatine. He was instrumental in the beginning of the rebellion. So, of course, she would have known her entire life the story of Palpatine's rise. That's about as spot on as it gets. I don't, I don't think this is just like, I don't understand the gripe against this by everyone.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: We talked a little bit about the dagger and the wayfinder. The artifacts. So the artifacts as like a thing you're not down with. More issue with the dagger than the wayfinder. What is it about the dagger specifically? Go ahead, sorry. If this dagger is
1: centuries old as they say, you know, ancient Sith inscribed in the blade, but it has a map of a space station that fell into the ocean just 30 years ago.
0: To put a mod on it, dog. And I <laughs> it's retrofitted.
1: I guess you could say the mod that comes out of the hilt that is the the Goonies' reveal yeah. of one eyed Willie's ship. <laughs> uh, see what I'm, see where I'm going. You know, like it was a little just, uh, yeah, but also it's kind of takes me back though. It but... takes me back to 10 year olds are watching this movie. And you know what I, you know what I loved more than anything in my life at that moment in time was the Goonies and them, all of the adventures and maps and clues. So I imagine a 10 year old watching the rise of Skywalker is at home. You know, I can see myself doing that. Like, Pretending like I'm finding it with the dagger. Like, I, I get it. Yeah. But nonetheless, so it's modded, but did not the inscription tell them where it was, where the Wayfinder was? Not not the little mod that came out of the, the hilt. Like, the wording that 3PO had in his circuits but couldn't translate due to protocol said it's, here's where it is. I guess it could have been added later. I guess you're right. Someone could have inscribed it later. Could have been just a plain old dagger just, until
0: after yeah yeah i know
1: you're right i think one or the other i would have done right and i and i think that there could have just been a writing tool that like the same way that i i make i made the comparison to the the rose and finn mission i loved the 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 deuce in the ocean i loved it like so stoked on the whole thing but i just think there could have been a cooler way to get to it that's all but that would have fucked with 3po's you know wiping of memory which was also a great great part of this film and so yeah i mean i know it's tricky
0: that's exactly what i was going to mention but given the fact that they didn't have the balls to leave 3po's memory wiped yep that doesn't back their case no it doesn't
1: but it also wouldn't have left they wouldn't have left 10 year olds very satisfied if you didn't get good definitely. old happy 3po at the end of the, the entire thing
0: yeah we could talk about that whole 3po thing as well that's that's definitely in the, yep. in most people's gripes but i don't know fuck it with that treasure finding shit they stumbled right upon the right spot on the shore, people are kind of butthurt about this. I think personally, like they got coordinates. I think we just covered that, that if
1: the, if the dagger was modified, which it, which now that we're breaking it down, which is what we're here to do week by week on think the maker, let's say that's what happened. I like that. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to let that be, I'm going to let that ease my mind about the dagger (laughs) and, and I'm high-fiving Nick cage right now virtually because we found that treasure. In the ocean.
0: We could probably get a deep fake going to <laughs> really make you high oh.
1: <laughs> I, I think if it was modified, which is a great um justification for how the dagger worked in the story, it would have been modified based on the one bluff or the one point that you were looking out at the Death Star in the water.
0: Right. That's where the coordinates are.
1: It, behind it is is the Pacific Ocean or whatever, you know, endless water. You can't stand out there. This is where you're standing on the point. Right. And and just like Mikey, you're kind of moving it around. You know, you're looking, and then boom, there it is, right there, off the coast of Oregon, the Sith Wayfinder. It, yeah, that, I think talking it out is really—this is good therapy for me, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm at ease with the dagger more now.
0: It's part of why we're here.
1: And yeah, to have a gripe, oh, they found the one spot. Like, well, yeah, it was a map to one spot. That was the whole point of it.
0: Right. You made a great point before we started recording on the other part of this gripe, it being in the throne room, in the first place that you would look. Like the gripe that why
1: why if Palpatine wanted to stay hidden so badly why would he leave something at the scene of the crime? Talk on that. Yeah, I think I immediately watching the film like this wasn't even a question for me at all. I I, I inter- interpreted it on first viewing as you have to be a Palpatine to open the door. That was a huge Easter egg for the reveal of of Rey's heritage was that she was able to open that door. And again, you want to argue that that's not possible we're talking about star wars we're not we're not living in we're not living in the physical universe that we know like talking
0: about space like, fantasy man uh,
1: how did the cave on Dagobah emulate vader f- for luke to see himself in the mask how does any of it happen why, why does there have to be an explanation beyond there's crazy mythical magical shit at work here in this guy ga- in this universe and why couldn't you as the uh, hold on, I'm gonna clear my throat for this. The greatest Sith Lord of all time <laughs> put a padlock on a door that is bloodline relative. Why couldn't you do that? Right. Why? Why is that so far fetched for people? I don't. I don't get it. It totally clicked for me when she walked up to the door and it opened. I was like, oh I'm right." Because you guys, all listeners, you all know that I. Well, I claim that I claim. Do you believe me or not? But I claim. That I claimed <laughs> that Rey was a Palpatine after I saw The Force Awakens. And so when that happened in this movie, I was like, oh, yes, it's happening. And also, obviously, I, from the beginning, I was like, why else would they bring him back? But I, when that door opened, I immediately thought she opened the door because she's a fucking Palpatine. Yeah. The door recognizes her. The Sith curse, you know, on the door and the Wayfinder or whatever it is. It's not crazy to think that Jedi and Sith keep things hidden right. throughout the galaxy. I mean, and they do it through Force power. I don't uh, Yeah. Not a gripe of mine.
0: Next big gripe out in the world, Ray killing Palpatine and the apparent contradiction with the idea that Palpatine says, kill me, strike me down, my soul will inhabit you, whatever this is. So she kills him, and the question is, well, isn't that the plan? Why doesn't she turn? I never questioned it for a second. It made perfect sense. Like, strike me down in anger or fear. That's what happens. That's the way to the dark side. She instead defends herself with all of the Jedi behind her. She doesn't just murder him. Right. She doesn't do it out of fear. She does it out of, like, love and, um. It's, I mean, it's self-defense. It's hard to say if if, you know, in the writing or behind the writing, she was actually
1: trying to kill him or if she was just defending herself. But there is the argument throughout these films, you know, it's time for the Jedi to end. It's, you know, time for the First Order to end. It's time for the Resistance to end. It's all a it, it, new beginning. That That's so, right. So the idea, well, a Jedi would never murder anyone. Well, aren't we kind of like thinking that maybe that's evolved and those rules are, don't stand or do Or I I don't know. That's something else that I, you know, I've read about and thought about. Ray being the most powerful force user in the galaxy, does that necessarily mean she's a Jedi? You know, are there still Jedi? Right. Who knows? But. Also, it could just be as simple as, like, the two of them fighting each other. I mean, the energy between the two of them had to has to be so unfathomable and overwhelming that the idea of even the most powerful Sith Lord of all time losing control in that moment, I mean, just because he's the greatest Sith Lord of all time to that moment doesn't mean he can't be defeated. You know, that right. that her counter... Energy. I mean, how, how much of a role does Bloodline play in this story? And not just you're my dad or my grandpa or my sister or my brother. Your, like, connection to the Force is Bloodline sensitive. Right. The connection that was happening in that moment, good versus evil, I mean, it just she, she won. And, and the idea, like, he couldn't just stop. He couldn't just turn off the, the lightning. I mean, I'm just going to do this one more time. Um, was there ever a scene in the Skywalker saga where Sheev Palpatine was killed Due to the inability to stop shooting lightning. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. The other time he died, he couldn't stop shooting lightning. But now it doesn't make sense. It doesn't this time. Right. Vader picking him up, throwing him over the balcony. Totally, totally computes. He was firing that lightning out all the way to the bottom of the pit. But Ray blasting it back in his face with a lightsaber. By the way, epic.
0: Yeah. Melted fucking covenant style. Yep,
1: no, it doesn't work this time. Look at the covenant. Doesn't work this time. Only in the this stuff only works in the original trilogy. Can't do it again. Look, nope.
0: JJ and Kathleen Kennedy ruined our childhoods. Okay. Yep.
1: yep, they did. They just took it all and they just shit all over it and they ruined it. Cause they don't like it. They don't like Star Wars. But but seriously, like that that's a gripe. He oh, he couldn't just stop shooting the lightning before he died. This is coming from whoever's saying that is someone who, who would consider themselves like a diehard fan an original trilogy cult worshiper, you know, he literally died the exact same way the first time. Right. Literally the exact same method of (laughs) death. Exact. Not kind of, not sort of, he died because he couldn't stop shooting lightning out and everyone, it was electrocuting everything in the room and it was like chaos, right? I don't know. It drives me crazy. And then I guess some people would come back and say, no, Vader picked him up and threw him and that's that's how he died. And it's like, okay, possibly, but if you watch the scene- Through his entire death, he's still shooting lightning out of his hands. So this does not compute. This gripe does not work. Take it back.
0: That's his thing, too. Shooting lightning and not being able to fucking stop. He's like an alcoholic. He's like a drug addict with the fucking dark side. Like, he roasted his own face in that battle with Mace Windu. He killed himself in the battle with Luke and Vader. He killed himself with Ray. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's a fucking addict. He's a dark side addict. (laughs) And, and it's all in that scene. His face, we
1: know when he's fighting her, it's all coming back. It's great. It's classic. It's, yeah. he, you can see him going over the edge. Unlimited power. Dude, what happened with Rey when she brought down the transport in this film? She lost control. Exactly. Lost control of force lightning. Yeah. I, I wasn't even thinking about the Windu fight, but we have seen this happen multiple times in canon in the original films. It's just not a valid gripe. Some of these gripes from people and critics, I'll put stock in. And from a certain point of view, that might be right. Please overdub the, when I say it. Uh, but right. this one, I no. This one gets no no credibility from
0: me. Agreed. All right. We're spending a lot of time on this, but it's all good shit. This is deep stuff. The Reylo kiss. This is a big one. How did you feel about
1: it? Saw it coming from the very first time they were ever on screen together. Yeah. As a fan of film, if the lead male and the lead female don't kiss in the end, it's worse writing for them not to, right. in my opinion, but this is a
0: show about opinions. Yeah. I don't feel like even spending time on this because I don't get the problem with it. I don't fucking understand. Yeah, it's
1: not like they rode off into the sunset together and everything was all good and happy and, you know, Reylo are going to have babies. It wasn't that at all. It was a moment of clarity and a moment of connection and they were clearly emotionally connected and that's fine for it to be romantic for a split second after all the shit they went through together. Right. I I mean, get over it.
0: Ben Solo's death, however, I can see, I can understand why people feel so strongly one way or another about this. The the, the people that are most upset about this are the Raylos who wanted Ben and Ray, mainly Ray, to have this happy ending and be able to love and find emotional fulfillment and connection, not just be this pure white virgin figure. Mm -hmm. So I understand this. But I also see the power of this sacrifice and the power of this storytelling device. I feel like it had to happen. Ben died so Ray could live. He literally gave his life to her. He put his life force into her so she could live. That was his full redemption. And I have something in my notes here that is a spoiler for another movie. I don't know how to say this without actually spoiling it. I mean, if you say the name of the movie, stop listening if you don't want a spoiler. Yeah. Um, Big spoiler. Skip ahead like a couple minutes. I couldn't help but be reminded of Jack's sacrifice in A Star is Born, essentially. That's kind of the interpretation of it. He he died so she could live. He knew that being who he was would bring her down. Right. Heavy. Yeah. And I feel like this is a, a version of that, but a much less depressing one. You know, because he literally gave his life to her, Ben did to Ray, rather than just killing himself, you know. So in the end, I feel like this is a big all-caps fucking love-conquers-all kind of thing. Yep. Tell me how you feel. I know you have some stuff here. I
1: agree with that. Well, I just want to quote um, Brian Young from Sci-Fi Wire, who is part of um, a Star Wars Weekly thing they do over there. It's a little bit long, but bear with me. Directly related to the death of Ben Solo. I agree with his points wholeheartedly. So Brian Young of Sci-Fi Wire says... The reason Ben's ending was so beautiful, though, is that it sums up a major theme from the prequels. Anakin Skywalker wanted to learn to stop people from dying. He's unable to. Quote, I'm quoting Anakin now. Love can't save you, Padme. Only my new powers can do that. End quote. He tells his wife just before her death. Clearly he was wrong. Love can bring people back to life. But it has to be selfless. Anakin tried to cling to control. And at the end, Ben surrendered to it. Super cool. Love could have saved Padme. His final act, agree with it or not, adds meaning to every Star Wars movie prior and to many of the important episodes of the animated shows. And isn't that what the new installments of Star Wars are supposed to do? It sure is. Really well written, I think, and and just absolutely hits the nail on the head about, as you put it, his sacrifice. Something that we have been dealing with in this story from, from the very beginning. And, and I, that's yet another case of I just don't understand when people act like all this shit is coming out of nowhere and, like, a, a writer of the caliber of someone like J.J. Abrams is not going back through this and saga and with a fine tooth comb and picking apart every detail he can find to thread the story from beginning to end through nine chapters of film. I, I just... Yeah, drives me a little bit crazy, but I I, I think he really nailed it. And I, I really appreciate him taking the time to go, you know, this has been around from the beginning. And the most beautiful thing is that it connects every single one of these films. Yeah. Ben's death connects every single film and the whole motivation for Vader's creation and everything all comes down to that moment.
0: And that segues to the idea that Ray takes the Skywalker name. Huge point of gripe from people. From all different angles, you know. Older Star Wars fans are just kind of grumpy about it just with almost just like not the slightest bit of nuance to, to their argument. They just don't fucking like it for whatever reason. I think like more like the Raylo side of the fan base doesn't like it because she sort of gave up who she is. She couldn't just say, no, I'm a Palpatine, but I, I won't go that way. And she also, she learned of her parents, but just essentially said, fuck them. I'm Ray Skywalker, but I don't, really agree with any of that. I think, I don't know, I think it's beautiful. If someone who is maybe adopted, right, meets their birth parents, you know, let's say they like, their parents were killed, right? And then they learn something about their parents and they find out that their parents like made a major sacrifice so that they could have a better life. They don't say, well, fuck the people that raised me that I really feel as family. I'm just going to change my name back to my original name, you know? Yeah. I feel like not sort of accepting her new family- so to speak, the Skywalkers, as her family, and just going back to the Palpatine name would be like rejecting the people who are actually a part of her life. I don't think it disrespects at all her parents who sacrificed their relationship with her to save her. I don't, see, I don't think it even remotely disrespects them to take the name Skywalker because they didn't want that name either. That's why they didn't give her one. Yeah. I have a theory that I'm sure exists
1: in a Reddit somewhere. The Skywalkers, as we know them, Anakin, and, and I guess we could say his mother, I mean, that, that's as far back as we know. Right. That part of this whole story, as so much of Lucas's original themes and, and writing for this was pulled from politics and religion and, and of the world and, and bringing all that together to create this universe. And obviously, Anakin's birth was pulled straight from the Immaculate Conception in the Christian religion. Right. We don't know how his mother became pregnant with him. There's no inclination of where that came from or how it happened. It is straight up lore and and religion in this universe. Like if she was to go down as the Virgin Mary that gave birth to the guy who brought balance to the force, that's biblical in a sense, you know, right. Ray, as you, you did put it earlier, you know, not to have her be this like pure white virgin figure. And I don't think she is that, but I do think the word virgin is key. Whether this goes anywhere or whether it means anything, her taking the Skywalker name and being the most powerful force user in the galaxy her level of midichlorian richness must be through the roof. And if the story was to continue, if there was to be more Skywalkers, how epic and fitting and full circle of a thing, because Ray didn't really get, I mean, if you think about in the story, like it wouldn't have played or worked in the story, but she didn't, she wasn't given like, um, a maternal type thing in any way, like not reference to her mother, not right. not like any, obviously why would they have a scene her like talking about wanting to, or not wanting to be a mother, whatever, none, none of that, but nonetheless, a powerful woman is a powerful mother, you know, kind of thing. And like, whether it happens or not, just, just to be left as a cliffhanger to theorize about why couldn't that be a thing? Like, why couldn't that be, it, it just be as simple and deliberate as that. Then that would be super cool. And like I said, super full circle because Clearly part of this is also that the Skywalker, you know, the story is over, but the Skywalkers are not ending. I mean, I don't think we want them to.
0: Do we? I don't.
1: Yeah, me neither. So.
0: I know you have to end a story, but. Yeah. Also, I don't know if you've read this. It was sort of confirmed and then kind of unconfirmed, and now it's just kind of in limbo, and this was in a comic, that Palpatine actually seeded Shmi Skywalker's womb with midichlorians, which made Anakin. Okay. So, even more full circle if that is the case right
1: yeah I mean yeah how dark do you want to go like what really happened in that throne room battle <laughs> how pervy did grandpa, <laughs> right. grandpa Shiv get <laughs> right um either way that didn't bother me at all I even as on the nose as it was I sat in the theater with tears rolling oh man like this is it man this is it this is the last moment yeah and it's literally called The Skywalker saga. Yeah. Just get over yourselves.
0: There's also a really cool thing. This is a bit of a sidebar, but there's a really cool thing that I learned on, I want to say an episode of Freakonomics, maybe, about kids who inherit the family business and about how historically, like, they just fail. Selling off the business to somebody else is better because kids inherit the shit and they fucking run it in the ground and it's bad. Unless you're in Japan where family-owned businesses just crush. But then if you go deeper, you find out that there's a tradition in Japan where if you marry into a family, the man marries in and takes that family name. So there are like these centuries-old, quote, bloodlines that are actually in-law-style lines. So it's kind of going, again, back to the very beginning of Star Wars, like pulling from like Japanese history and culture in the same way that the Jedi – the very fucking idea of the Jedi was brought from Japanese history and culture with samurai and so on. Yeah, sure. So you have to
1: imagine that Lucas at some point or or not at some point, maybe just forever, whatever, is kind of fascinated by it, you know, went into it and, and learned about the culture and, and all that stuff. And so how related that is to to this or or not, I think you're your thinking behind it is spot on. She's taking their family name to carry it on proudly. Yeah. Why does that have to be a bad thing? (laughs) Because everything has to be a bad thing, a negative spin.
0: But we have to be mad at something. So let's move on. Next segment. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes. I'm just going to read off the list, and then we can talk about whichever ones we want to. Sure. In one of those early meetings with Kylo Ren, after he puts on his newly repaired mask, repaired by Caesar from Planet of the fucking Apes, apparently. Did you see this shit? A little, a little strange. Strange choice. It was straight up a chimp face. That was weird in space. Whatever. Like, there aren't ships in space? I mean, first thing to leave the Earth. Maybe that was it. Maybe it was straight up just paying respect to the
1: whatever the Russian Space Federation was called at the time.
0: The Union of Soviet Socialist Republic's space program? That. They're in that meeting, and this fucking killer line that made me laugh so hard that we'll talk about later. Kylo Ren straight up Darth Vader style to this one dude with the, who's just like questioning, like, well, what the fuck is up with this fleet? Like, what are they going to do for us, you know? He just, like, force spanks the shit out of this dude and throws him up to the ceiling and just, like, no, I'm fucking in charge. I'm the new Vader. Yeah. You're that dude with the fucking bowl cut. Admiral Pride is my Tarkin. We're whooping everybody's ass. I thought it was awesome. It was so awesome. The Festival of the Ancestors on Passana, I thought was fucking sweet
1: yeah I think that was the best execution of that classic Star Wars introduction to a new species and you know it wasn't cheesy it felt authentic
0: yeah and like a musical number a dance thing that wasn't size noodles and shit
1: yeah, I I know we've moved on from other people's gripes and critiques of this film, but I have seen something to where they're like, oh, they happen to just go there at the exact time of the festival that was happening like that so that they could have that in the movie or whatever. And I'm like, so does any plot point in any film you've ever watched, it just... People end up where they end up, but that's not acceptable. So just stop watching movies then. That's the solution. Stop watching movies. Get the <laughs> yeah. fuck over it. It was gorgeous though. I mean, another one of those scenes that – not not on Battle of Crate level, but nonetheless, it was really – you know, it was a gorgeous scene and it was it was cool. And also set up, can we know your surname? I don't have one.
0: Yeah, that was beautiful. That's one of my favorite quotes. Also, um, little Easter egg there, the Festival of the Ancestors that happens every 42 years. 42 years. You're smarter than me.
1: I did not – put that together at all that's super cool
0: i'm not that smart i heard somebody else say it but it's it's still sweet you retained the information that counts for something at our age yeah yeah that line is great i love that those little aliens are practical puppets yeah you know those are really cool next on the list the first force time interaction between ray and kylo she's in the crowd of people right there on pasana kylo's in a star destroyer the force tug of war between raylo with the Force lightning, she loses control. Same planet. Uh, the Raylo Force time, when Kylo forces her to remember her parents, immediately followed by their battle. This was the first example of Force touch that we see. Yeah, true, like, direct hand. Well,
1: I mean, there was the rain, I guess. From the ocean and the rain, yeah. yeah. There was that. That book certainly led to this being enhanced and being written further.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. So that, that was the one on Pasaana. And then the next one where Kylo Ren is on Kijimi— Ray is on the Star Destroyer. They had that battle that, like, crosses between the two, you know? They're having, like, a straight-up, like, battle. Like, they're in person, but they're in two completely different places, which is amazing. The Leia on Luke training flashback is awesome. The Death Star water battle, of course, is amazing, where she then resurrects Ben Solo. Leia's death, Chewie's reaction to it, holy shit. Ben's vision of Han with the dad-I-know line final battle with palpatine force air dropping the lightsaber ben resurrecting ray the Ray kiss chewie getting the medal ray skywalker igniting the lightsaber new color and that's the end so that's a long list cuz there were a lot of great ones in here yeah from the top what do you
1: well i don't i guess i won't do my my favorite moment but i think my favorite overall scene sequence everything was as we keep calling it the deuce, it plays into my my enjoyment of when things in in these films feel very realistic, whether it's the the environment or the the scenario or whatever. But it feels not quite as fantastical as some of the other things. I feel like the set design of that just felt so real to me. It's like a shipwreck. Yeah. It felt, it, it, which is clearly what they're going for, you know. But it felt like a shipwreck. It felt all rusty and it such a cool throwback to Ray being a scavenger when she's climbing through it and just totally full circle you know exploring that first crash star destroyer to now exploring the second death star loved that yeah Loved the look of it i just loved how creepy and and creaky and rusty and, and it all was and then to have that fight scene in the water this is dumb maybe but just water everywhere but you know lightsabers just stay ignited yeah that was a cool element to me um loved the fight scene the nostalgia in that scene just really really worked for me seeing the new characters fight on the old decrepit set from return of the Jedi it was just, I loved that. I also really enjoyed Kajimi. I don't know why the whole, the whole sequence. I liked the vibe of it. I liked the sort of like Swiss Alps sort of vibe of, of the set design. Yeah, and I yeah. thought it played, I thought that stop played well in the story, you know, finding the droid technician and all that worked for me. Love Carrie Russell. You know, she's, been, she's worked with J.J. Abrams all the way back to his start. So I think it's really cool that he brought her in as he does bring his like friends into this kind of stuff. I think that's so rad. But yeah, that, that whole sequence played. I liked opening the door to more of Poe's origins, which I think the extended universe will get into mm-hmm. now that we know he was a drug runner, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll find out more about that. So those were two of mine.
0: I love all the, the force time stuff is just next level, as, as you would expect. The interaction between Rey and Kylo, it starts in, like you mentioned, that chest punch grab where Kylo snatches the necklace when Rey's on Pisana. It's just like a oh shit moment where you realize we're now working on another level. Mm-hmm. And then that allows that fight scene to happen where they're in two different places where Rey has made it to the Star Destroyer and she's in that room that has like the Vader helmet and all the shit. That white room. One of the best sets in the entire saga yeah. was that room. I loved it. And that contrasted with the way that Kajimi looked it was so fucking sweet. Yeah,
1: exactly. And dude, it's so deliberate and so sick because they were down in the dark. And yeah. then it, But the snow, you know, there was white snow in those scenes and it kind of mm-hmm. made you feel like the whole thing was cohesive still. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's me reading into it or not. The only thing I didn't love about that scene, and it was a, <laughs> ties into my whole issue with Nick Cage and National Treasure, was like the artifact table, you know, I'm like, come on, he 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 doesn't have, like, a museum yeah, yeah. artifact thing where it's like, oh, look, you've discovered the temple with the golden head on it and watch out for the spears on your way out. <laughs> it felt like that to me. But it was gorgeous, though. It felt so first order and, like, appropriate, yet it was, like, white, just like all the rebel ships in Empire and stuff. Like, it was, this, you know what I mean? It was interesting how yeah. they still made it feel, like, that's where Kylo sleeps. <laughs> right.
0: I loved it. And the moment where Ray's lightsaber swipes through that barrel of berries on Kajimi and they all spill out into the white room, those yes. red berries. Yep, the white and red, man. Dude, so I, I was watching that thinking like, okay, how did they do this? This is like brilliant cutting, fucking world-class editing. Later seeing the behind-the-scenes footage, they actually had these sets built that were both locations in one. They had a little like half white room in that Kajimi set. They didn't shoot those completely separately. They were actually shooting them. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's crazy. So it wasn't just green screen and cut together. They built those practical sets. And it's pretty old school. And I think it it shows like because that shit was seamless. Well, he was
1: all about that from the beginning, talking about how, how much he didn't want to rely on CGI unless he
0: absolutely had to. Yeah. It's beautiful. Let's see. Um the first force time interaction between Ray and Kylo when Ren reveals that he's talked to Palpatine. He says, Palpatine, wants you dead, they're kind of just really talking shit to each other right there. She's like, oh, serving another master. Mm-hmm. And he starts to get into the emotional stuff. He's like, you can't hide Ray, not from me. She's pushing back and she says, I see through the cracks in your mask. You're haunted. You can't stop seeing what you did to your father. And then he comes back dodging it with, do you still count the days since your parents left? You know, they're just fucking like jabbing back and forth at each other. And it's really kind of heavy. There's that classic language too that you've talked about. Yeah. And that more classical feeling diction that they're using. It's really good. And that moment when he forces her to remember her parents and drops the Palpatine bomb, he's pushing so hard and she's resisting so hard. And she's, of course, bawling again. That was, I, again, I was crying along with them on screen and it was really heavy. So. Even though some of that dialogue is kind of on the nose, Mm you're a Palpatine, blah, blah, blah. I was still fully invested in that moment. Yeah, that
1: dialogue was very telegraphed, but this has been a theme for me in this episode, and I'm going to do it again. I'm wondering if there was ever a moment in the entire Skywalker saga where something was revealed, and the dialogue that was used to reveal it was literally only the needed words in order with no flourish and I'm wondering if Darth Vader ever said the words, I am your father.
0: I think that happened.
1: If it didn't, then maybe it's a little worse that he said, you're a Palpatine. But <laughs> I think it did happen. So
0: I think he said that. And maybe this
1: just didn't land as well, clearly. And I guess that that that's something that, you know, that we could talk about at length too. But maybe maybe that plays and is actually a little bit of a bummer that the reveal of Ray being a Palpatine, should have landed as hard as finding out that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Mm -hmm. But with all the moving parts going on, and that leads me to actually what I wanted to say with you bringing up that specific scene, that could be a point where I would say I definitely would have preferred a little bit of a slowdown. I'm trying to recollect right now the, the vision of her parents and what actually happened and their death. And it was quick. And if you think about how long we lived in the moment, the bomb drop in Empire... I mean, you were sitting in that shit for, a, for yeah. some time to digest. This was like, you're a Palpatine, boom, boom, dead, bar, and then next thing, like yeah. continue chasing the, the artifacts through the tunnels. I mean, it was like that one was a little quick, but nonetheless, like her performance as an actor again and having that realization was so real and so believable. And that was the greatest weight she carried, I think, in the whole trilogy as of far as like a moment that she can't drop the ball is the moment where she finds out who she
0: is. Yeah. That's going back to our certain point of view about criticisms of the idea of her being a Palpatine. Like, the whole story of Rey so far has been about her family, that she swears will come back. Her entire identity is waiting for her family to come back, finding out who she is. And then to find out That she is a descendant of the worst motherfucker of all time. Of all time. (laughs) Of all time. It's great. I think it's great. Yep. Anyway, moving on. The Leia and Luke training flashback. We're now doing flashbacks in Star Wars, starting with The Last Jedi. We're doing this stuff, and I think it's cool. And I love that they actually pulled footage from Return of the Jedi, and the body double that they used for that scene was Carrie Fisher's own daughter. Billy Ward, so cool. That had to have been amazing for her. Absolutely, you know. I mean, yeah, she was playing Leia. Yeah, it was this unreal, dude. So cool. And seeing Leia finally like wielding a lightsaber, being a proto Jedi, was fucking sweet. And you know, her daughter always said that she grew up with two mothers, so
1: it must have been really, really cool to get to play one one of them.
0: I read some good stuff about her on set and everyone on set during that time. It It was cool stuff. If I find a link, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, Death Star Water Battle, we talked about that. Oh, fucking Chewie's reaction to Leia dying. He, like, hits his knees and he's just, like, moaning and just, like, crying out. Yep. I was crying so fucking hard I couldn't keep my shit together. That was maybe the heaviest one.
1: I don't know what to say because we're holding off on
0: favorites. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Moving on. Ben's vision of Han, Dad, I know I got to wait on that one, too. That's in my favorites, too. Um, final battle with Palpatine. Force airdropping the fucking lightsaber. Yeah. From behind her back. So sick. So sick. Just perfectly executed. The shot, the way it's framed, and they back up, and it's like, surprise, motherfuckers. Dude, so and good. then Ben doing the
1: same move that Han did. Outside the Han Shrug? In the, yes, dude, in Jedi, outside of the um, you know, the satellite. Yeah, on Endor. Yeah. He literally, yeah. blaster in hand, does the same thing. And that was one of those moments that we've talked about where dusting your shoulder off was kind of (laughs) garbagey but this one this one (laughs) was just landed man it just landed it was like oh yes and i knew i knew it right when i saw him do it i was like i don't know that i knew specifically where it was from but i definitely remember feeling like he's a solo he's his father's son you know yeah so great yeah it was great that battle with the knights of ren that that, i mean there's a scene oh dude yeah The, the, the the all the lightsaber stuff in all three of these films. I'm not, I can't say one or the other. The forest, the throne room, the Knights of Ren, the lightsaber battles in these movies were on another level.
0: It's been a, like a perfect balance of really fluid, kind of elegant use of the lightsaber. The kind of thing where, like when you see a guitar player play and it's like, the guitar is like an extension of their body or like drumsticks with a really great drummer. You know what I mean? It's like that with those weapons There was some stuff in the prequels that was, like, too smooth and what just didn't have, like, the ferocity that it needed. And all of this shit from both directors in in this sequel trilogy has been a perfect balance of that. Like, really fucking intense, but clearly just, like, an extension of their body.
1: Well, it could have something to do with the fact that in the prequels, you know, there's scenes where there are hundreds of people wielding them in an arena at the same time. That's the story of the prequels to me. You know, when we get into them, it's just – yeah. More is more, and no, it's not. And so, in these, <laughs> sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not, right? We, I, I'm actually working on a bunch of movie trailer cues with Ryan Mendez, and we actually say more is more on a daily basis and mean it. And it's it's a good application of more is more. <laughs> that said, I feel like in the in the sequel trilogy, every time a lightsaber ignites, it's suspenseful there's been a moment of a, a buildup yeah. up to the ignition of that saber and it makes every single use of, of it special. I mean, even the training scene on Octo when she's training with her staff and then just looks over and sees it laying in the bag. Good on you, Ryan Johnson. That's one of my favorite parts of that movie because she's like, you know what? I'm just going to try this thing one more time. I'm just going right. to <laughs> see what it does, you know? And like, but that was so impactful. And that's what I'm saying. It wasn't like they were running around on the Island doing lightsaber training. And I think that's,
0: Good. Right. Then we have in the list, we actually have here in our favorites, Ben resurrects Ray, Ray low kiss. I think it's fucking awesome. Everybody get off me. you're al- Dude, don't add him.
1: You're allowed to feel that way. If it, if it moved you, it moved you, man. You know, some people think St. Agar is okay. a good record. Somebody does. Somebody <laughs> is super into that record. Somebody loves that snare drum. Exactly. So, it, and you can disagree with that person, but I have agreed with you. Throughout the entirety of this journey through this film, that I think that all of that
0: was the right choice. Chewy getting a medal, man. Finally. I cried as hard there as anything. It was beautiful shit. Ray Skywalker, Ray Igniting, that fucking sweet ass lightsaber that she has made out of her staff. It's yellow, right? I mean, it's like yeah. a pretty pretty pale yellow color. First time on screen in live action.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And and really, um, the use of that color, of that like light pastel yellow kind of like Easter feeling <laughs> color, you know? Yeah. I think that's all about like new beginning and rebirth, you know, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, favorite scene, call it officially. What's your favorite? Chewy finding out
1: Leia. I think it's one of the most emotional and impactful moments in the entire series of films. Yeah. I was not expecting. His reaction to Han dying in The Force Awakens slayed me. This was not the same thing though, because it wasn't in a moment of action. He wasn't there when she died. This was you having a normal day and finding out that your mother or your sister, a, a blood relative that means more than anything to you has been taken from you and that you're the last one. That was what that did to me was like, I'm getting like, kind of like misty too right now, like thinking about it, um, he realized in that moment that he was alone. He was—he's it. Yeah, dude. If we're—if if we're counting organic matter, because we still have three PO and R two, but he is—he's it. To me, that moment was written, directed, shot, and acted to portray exactly that feeling. It wasn't just Leia's gone. It was Leia's gone, and I'm alone. All of my friends have died. Yeah, and that shit—if that does not make the entire trilogy worth viewing for you, you have no soul.
0: Yeah. I could talk a lot about that, but I'll leave it there. I agree. Fucking poor Chewie, man. That dude's been through a lot of shit. I know. Remember when we thought he was dead? Oh, my God. We have to mention that. Yeah. Dude, a lot of people that that maybe should have gone in... um, From a certain point of view? Man, that moment when number one, she lost control. I was like, oh my God, that was to that point, maybe one of the coolest moments in all of Star Wars to me. She lost it. And like, if you didn't already suspect that she was who she is, yep. there it was. And then her reaction to that, Daisy Ridley's. Oh
1: yeah, dude, it was so intense. Oh, and, and I, so are these, are the people that, uh, because let's say this belongs in our previous segment from a certain point of view, are the people who disagree with that choice, the fake out. First of all, just some of that stuff when they try to like take it apart, like what? Okay, but also why couldn't there have been another transport there? Like they didn't.
0: You see the other transport? It's there, right? Like, they
1: weren't like spinning around with the camera to like make sure, you're like, oh, every inch of the desert is covered here. Right. Also, are people just trying to make me feel gullible? That's okay if they are, but I'm just gonna say that I I I bought it. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I thought we are starting to get on the level of the ending of that. We're coming to the end. You know we're gonna be getting mm-hmm. into Act Three here pretty soon, and this is it. And dropping a bomb like that felt believable to me.
0: And yeah, I felt like I was gonna throw up for yes, the five minutes between. Yes,
1: and I, I remember I was sitting next to my dad, and I just and I remember looking at him with just complete disbelief. But the fact that he didn't die and was taken captive, you know, the old switcheroo, classic film writing technique. Mm-hmm. It then later provided me with what I just said. One of my all-time favorite moments in the entire history of Star Wars films. If he had died there, we wouldn't have gotten to see him react to Leia dying. And he didn't. And it was a great technique to use. It was awesome. It had the whole audience hanging by a thread of thinking that Chewbacca just died with no goodbye. It was awesome. And it's the kind of stuff you want. Like you said, you know, the argument that they should have kept 3PO's memory wipes. And, you know, they didn't have the balls to keep it that way. Certainly an argument for that, but at the same time, I go back to my point that I make often about kids watching the movie. Chewie can't die like that, you know? Like, (laughs) you can't leave a six-year-old in a theater with, like, there is no hope in that. There's no hope in that, in the glue, the character that is the glue that holds this crew together for 42 years dying with no farewell. That's not going to stick. Right. It's not going to stay.
0: Killed by the new protagonist. Exactly. Not going to
1: happen. Not going to happen. And so I was not bothered at all because I just feel, I'm not trying to be holier than thou in any way because I'm not, and I'm not a film student or a film critic, but I watch I watch a lot of film and I always have my whole, it's something I care passionately about. And so I understand the technique and the use of that kind of writing and those, you know, the switcheroo as they call it. You're not looking and they, they switch something out. And then it's later explained and, and like you said, you do see the other transport, so it's just— It's a thing in film. Yeah.
0: And, and it worked I mean, on us. And when he came back, dude, I, I felt like I, my face looked just like Daisy Ridley's face did, reacting to finding out that he was still alive. You know, tears of joy, same thing, so—
1: I'm so bummed that I didn't get to watch this movie before this. Everything we're talking about, I can see it clear as day, and I, I want to— We have, like, less than a month left. I think March 13th is available.
0: We'll see it again Maybe. in a few days, and it's going to be awesome. because oh, never wa- We've never watched a Star Wars movie together. How fucking weird is that?
1: We have not, which is why wielding lightsabers like 12-year-old kids at Galaxy's Edge and then going to see it is going to be the best day of our whole lives. Shit, yeah. Don't tell your wife. (laughs)
0: Let's see. What else? Well, what was your favorite? That's right. Yeah. So my favorite is tough, man, because that chewy moment—it's hard for me to, like, pick a favorite that is— Sad. I know. I know. On a, a film lover level, like, that's tough.
1: That I picked that too, because obviously, like, what a, in the grand and scheme Hans of death, things,
0: yeah. you dark sided motherfucker.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the real shit. I like those moments in these films that feel grounded in real, yeah. and, and, and very real. And both of those scenes did that. Yeah, they were very Shakespearean. Both, you know, in a way, both of those scenes tragic,
0: for sure. I think I'm gonna stay on brand as a Raylo and. Hit me at Adam the Skull on how much of a bitch I am. But I think <laughs> <laughs> the final scene, Ray dying. Daisy really plays a great corpse, by the way. She nailed that. But Ben bringing her back. And that last moment, again, I'm going back to the Starsborn thing, a movie which I fucking just sobbed through. That was the ending that I needed as a viewer, as a person who got so invested in these two characters at the beginning of this. And as tragic as it was, it was so fulfilling for me. So I think that's my favorite.
1: I liked how that scene slowed it down.
0: Yeah, finally, towards the end. Yeah. We
1: use um, some of this music Ryan and I are working on these days together. My writing partner, Ryan, from Yellow Card. We uh, were working on this these trailer cues. which are like these big, ridiculous, over-the-top, orchestral, crazy, electronic, hybrid, kind of neoclassical pieces, you know, made for the Avengers in-game trailer, you know, whatever. But... There's a piece you use called a downer, which is like a a bass drop basically. But the more creative you can get with the sound design of them, and the more you can like warp them and stutter them, I equate this film to that. It's like whoop as it goes down, mm-hmm. and this moment was like the very end of the downer, and it slowed back down into the classic Luke, I am your father moments where you live in it, and it successfully takes this fantastical universe, this sci-fi space pirate stuff and makes it feel so real you know makes the actor the characters feel like real people mm-hmm. in a in a fake universe and so that moment for me was also
0: very important because it was
1: it felt classic it felt rooted in all things original trilogy to me
0: favorite quotes we'll talk about a favorite quote here that it actually is a whole scene that we could talk about at length but i'm very now aware of our the, of our time we're going long this is gonna be a long one it is what it is Let's do very quickly, favorite quotes. I love even fucking 3PO with the heartfelt shit. After all the shit talking, all the banter between him and R2, all the you overweight glob of grease and you mindless philosopher and all that kind of shit. 3PO says, in the event that I do not return, I want you to know that you have been a real friend, R2. My best one, in fact. It's so sweet.
1: It was so heavy too. Like, what's another example in one of the other films where you see that kind of like humanity from 3PO. Right. I mean, he, he has his moments for sure, but that one was like, I think the most spelled out deliberate show of emotion that wasn't fear. He shows a lot of fear, but that was like the most, I love you, man, that
0: he's ever done. I think a lot of 3PO stuff here was written with a very deliberate choice to honor that character for being along for the entire nine episode ride. And Anthony Daniels being along for all nine episodes, the only actor to do all nine. So it's huge, you know, JJ yeah, and, yep. and Chris Terrio had to be thinking about that when they were writing this dialogue. Another great quote, just a little one, but it, it means so much here. Leia says to Ray, Ray, never be afraid of who you are.
1: I love how we've discussed how that plays into the fact that Leia knew who she was and. hmm a leadership role in the way she tries to sort of motivate and inspire. She wasn't going to tell her, even though she knew. Right. I wish that we would have gotten to see Carrie Fisher play the role of wrestling with that choice. You know,
0: that would have been great shit, but no Carrie. There are some funny quotes in here that I love as well. When Kylo Ren first comes in with his newly repaired mask, he walks in and he says to Hux, I sense unease about my appearance, general Hux. And the Hux goes about the mask. No, sir. Well done. Such a goober. And then the the other officer just says, I like it. <laughs> it's good JJ humor, for yeah. sure. One more funny one, and then we'll talk the heavy ones. After they wipe 3PO's memory, Babu Freak is, uh, is referenced. I guess as they're, like, running out, the raid comes in. They all bail out of Babu Freak's little shop right there. And somebody says his name, and 3PO's like, Babu Freak, oh, he's one of my oldest friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from twenty minutes ago.
1: That whole interaction between him and Babu Freak was amazing.
0: Yeah, one from the trailer. They're all standing there right before they're about to wipe three PO's memory, and Poe says, um, "What are you doing there, three PO?" And three PO says, "Taking one last look, sir, at my friends." Yep, that was a moment in the in the trailer. I lost my shit. <laughs> Just lost it.
1: Well, that's such a finite thing. Like it's such a um leading you into the idea that in your in your mind that this is about to be over it's really over yeah it's that was such a, a poignant moment for the realization that you had what do you have left in the film at that point right and it's like this is it man this is the home stretch of the Skywalker saga in its entirety and that will be it and I'll never get to see this for the first time again and it was such a cool like homage to the new crew you know, the yeah. new character, all the new characters being there together on the one kind
0: of adventure, getting through the film together—it was, it was cool. Obviously, when it comes to the trailer editors, they chose that line to be as meta as it is. But you have to assume that that JJ and Chris Terrio were—they knew what they were saying there. That's no accident. Yeah. Luke, in the little Force ghost powwow that he has on Octo with Ray, he says, "Confronting fear is the destiny of the Jedi. Your destiny." Some old school shit. Ben saying, I guess Kylo on the the cusp there where he's about to fully relinquish his dark side persona, he says, recycling the line from The Force Awakens, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. That
1: line was so um, important for the entire trilogy, and it was like, it plays along with those classic lines like, the Force is strong with my family, or I've got a bad feeling about this. Mm-hmm. That was his entire character summed up.
0: Right. Lastly... Maybe my favorite, and it's funny because it's two words. Maybe just kind of like cruised by for most people, but it got me emotionally. Right at the end of that little training montage where Ray runs the course, and Leia's kind of just watching her do this. They have a little conversation about, I'll learn your brother's saber and whatnot, and she kind of hands it over. And then they leave. They go their separate ways there. Ray ends the exchange with just like a smile, and she says to Leia, Yes, Master. And then it cuts. To me, that, that little moment right there, yeah, we, we're, they're talking about Jedi stuff. She's talking about training. We understand what's going on. But for some reason, it didn't like really sink in like, oh, wow, Leia, the Force user, is training there. It didn't really hit me until she said, yes, master. And then it was like a ton of bricks, just like tears. You know what I mean? It was just so special to me.
1: Yeah. Well, also thinking what could have been, you know, it goes back right? to that. What what could have been if we'd gotten to see that kind of interaction between the two of them throughout the film where Leia has kind of gone back on her promise to never become a Jedi, you know? Right. And she's a Jedi master. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, could have been really special. And again, though, to their credit, how amazing that they were able to do what they did with that scene and make it impactful enough for tears to roll mm-hmm. without her being there on set to film it,
0: you know? Yeah. Oh, dude, another one. When Ben says... He's now Ben at this point. He says to Han in his vision, dad, and he pauses, and Han says. Yeah. Go. <laughs> so good. Oh, there it is. So good.
1: It happened. <laughs> Adam has moved.
0: Mm. <clears throat> ah, I'm back.
1: Uh, for me, the, all of those moments where, you know, I knew, I knew that's the last time I'm going to see Han Solo. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it, man. See you later, dude. Well— the last time I'm going to see Harrison Ford playing Han Solo, because hashtag make Solo too, But <laughs> right. all those moments hit me the same way that they hit you. I mean, I was just, I was a mess, you know. The ending of it all is what, yeah. what wrecked me, knowing that, that I wasn't going to see any of these movies again for the first time. And every little moment like that was like, fuck, this is it. One thing we haven't talked about, all of the Jedi that spoke to Ray in the oh, final yeah. Palpatine Throne Room scene, just going through some of them, Anakin... Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, Yoda, Mace, Windu, Ahsoka Tano, which someday we're going to get to the, an episode where I'm going to tell my story about Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> um, and on and on. That was something actually on the second viewing of the film that was way more special for me because I knew it was coming, so my ears were sort of pricked up to listen for all the different voices, you know? Yeah. Um, and, it, and it made that moment even cooler the second
0: time. And I think it's beautiful that they pulled from all three trilogies, they pulled from... Multiple different cartoons and all different eras all yep. together at once. It was beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's like they brought the whole extended universe and the younger fans and older fans and everything. I mean, that, that moment was to bring everyone together, connect, connect it all with a through line. And what a cool way to do it.
0: We are going to do something special, even though I don't know, this is our third full podcast episode, but we're already breaking format. We're going to skip disturbances in the force, our gripes. We've already kind of talked about a few of them. So in honor of this being the final Skywalker saga film, we're not going to fucking complain at the end. We're going to end on a high note. Yeah,
1: I think that we should go out of this showing appreciation and gratitude for the conclusion of this story.
0: That's it. We fucking loved it. You talk about negative stuff, or you could just say, man, Star Wars is fucking cool. That was a fun movie. And just, uh, if you don't like it, watch Game of Thrones or watch fucking Harry Potter. Watch something else. Chill out.
1: (laughs) I heard the new Star Trek series is really highly rated. Move on.
0: Let's do Intercepted Transmissions. We have that. We have it. Finally. first listener submitted question. It's from someone named Crystal Padilla, I want to say. Padilla, depending on whether or not that pronunciation follows... Spanish origin, I assume. Well, I feel a little bad because
1: I can't correct you on that because I know how her last name is spelled from seeing it online, but I don't know that I've ever heard it said out loud, so I'm not sure. And the reason I feel bad is because Crystal is one of the most hardcore, awesome, supportive, loving yellow card fans. And then on into like everything I've done after the band with putting out my own music and whatever. Just supported me all the way through, so very cool and fitting that our first listener submitted question is from someone as supportive as Crystal. So apologies for the not knowing what the double L sounds like, but thank you so
0: much for getting on board. Her question is: Do people calling the character Baby Yoda and not the child from The Mandalorian? Does that bother us? That is a well thought out investigative question because we know officially he is known as the child he does have a name supposedly we just it hasn't been revealed yet but he's known colloquially and in memes across the world as baby yoda even though (laughs) there's no way he can be baby yoda based on the timeline so does that bother you well hey the dead speak you know (laughs) (laughs) um no it doesn't bother
1: me i think I, i like the whole delivery of the child is awesome. It's, it's that got that classic Shakespearean star Wars kind of feel to it that he's called the child, you know, but look, the baby, the baby Yoda revolution has only further awakened this second coming of star Wars, you know, and something like this being a positive thing that people seem to be really, really excited about and, and, and making memes and doing whatever else I think it hopefully will make people more excited for new content, you know, feeling like the Mandalorian was a huge success. Hopefully people are more excited and, and more supportive and less nitpicky over, you know, the, all of the other new content that's coming, knowing that we can have an episodic live action show be delivered and, and deliver that big for, for everyone. So, um, no, it doesn't bother me. I mean, the child just wouldn't, wouldn't have, wouldn't have played as well in the, in the viral world we live in. It wouldn't have
0: trended. You know. Yeah, call him Baby Yoda, call him the child, call him Burt Reynolds. I don't care. The fact is, that character has unified everyone. Everyone loves this little character, so it's a net win no matter what.
1: For sure. And all I care about is hurry up, Favreau, and give us season two. Thanks.
0: All right, let's move on to our special guest.
1: Here we are, everybody, uh, as promised— with the king of pop punk himself, Mister Chad Gilbert of Newfound Glory. Hey, dude! The Sith Lord of Pop Punk. The Sith Lord of Pop Punk. I'm the Palpatine. The Palpa Punk. <laughs> Palpa Punkatine. What's going okay. on? Thanks for having me. Of course, dude. So yeah, this we're just kind of getting started with having guests on the show. So we're kind of going to just roll with it and have fun with it. But we've been talking about the rise of Skywalker on this episode. So I guess. First and foremost, welcome to Thank the Maker. And uh, how'd you feel about uh, the conclusion of the Skywalker saga?
2: I thought it was awesome. I mean, I don't, you know, I enjoy all Star Wars,
1: you know? You're welcome here.
2: Yeah, thank you. I don't go in looking for like, I don't try to write my own Star Wars story, you know? I think a lot of people write their own stories before they go in and like, oh, I didn't do this. I thought Kylo Ren was going to like... Actually, be a robot from his dad, and then his uncle is going to be like you know Samuel Jackson. (laughs) They all they all try to like write their own. So I loved it. I mean, I I had a great time, and I mean, I think maybe the only thing that I didn't fully need was like the kiss. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: But I guess like the you know that's like whatever. That's Star Wars is still a a love story. Still, it's romance. You know, people forget that too.
0: It's fantasy, ultimately, you know. Even though it's blasters and fucking spaceships, my wife always makes fun of me because I talk about how I don't, I don't fuck with fantasy. Really, I don't like Lord of the Rings, and I don't, you know, I, I've never watched Game of Thrones. And I'm like, I don't really like fantasy. She's like, okay, coming from the the biggest fucking Star Wars fan I've ever met, right? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> space so, pirates. <laughs> yeah, so it has those elements of of fantasy, like romance, and you know, it's fairy tales ultimately.
2: It's erotic sci-fi. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Did you have like any like favorite standout moment scene, you know, something where you were just like, no way or yes, dude.
2: I think for me, I loved how dark they made Palpatine. I loved him like on the machine, like hooked up to the, you know, the way he like floated out of the machine. I love all of the people like worshiping him. I thought that was really, really cool. You know, I love how dark they made that because I feel like it's one of the reasons one of my favorite Star Wars movies was Rogue One and that is yeah. because like we know that Darth Vader is bad but you never really see him bad you know we always see like majority of like Vader's character we get to see at the end of the originals is like him his like redemption story you know what i yeah. mean right. but like in rogue one you finally see him like lift people up and like freaking destroy them and like you know you like oh wow, Vader is, like, actually a tough guy. He's not just some stiff dude in a suit, you know, like, walking around. Right, yeah. You know, so, like, I love that about Rogue One. So when I saw, I think my favorite part of, of the new one was just how evil they made Palpatine, you know, like, seeing all of his followers and him just being, like, that whole side of him. You really, really got to see how, like, dark that whole thing was. And I,
1: I like that. Yeah. To us too.
2: I, I hate to think that it's over. You guys know more than me, but I guess that story, those characters are over now. Is that?
0: Is that the thing? I mean, that's what they say
2: officially. That's what they say, yeah. But there's there's a lot of, I guess, like the amount of time they put into Finn and Poe. I wish I got a little bit more. Yeah. You know their stories a little bit yeah. deeper. I feel like they spend a lot of time. You know, there was a lot of story about them. And I feel like the third one, there wasn't as much uh, wrapping up who they were.
1: Yeah. And that's I mean, that's the the issue you run, you know, the issue that we've all like Game of Thrones fans, for example, have debated on like, how do you end all these storylines at the same time? And how do you, you know, and you can if you're a uber nerd, you can. Or, or just like super interested, you can deep dive, and there's, the comics are really exploring a lot of that. That they're exploring, like Poe and, and Finn's origins and stuff. So that yeah, there's a cool uh, Poe storyline coming out about like how he used to be a smuggler and just like his whole journey to, to joining the resistance and stuff. It's cool. It's it's out there, but whether you know, yes, it would be cool to see that stuff in film for sure.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. One thing that happened that I uh, I was like super pleased by, even though it was relatively minor in the movie is we actually saw some conflict between poe and finn mm-hmm. which is inter- interesting because ryan johnson specifically said like as he was writing there was talk of, of like putting conflict between those two and he was like no nah, man these guys are like lifetime like fucking till death bros there's no way that they're gonna like be at odds on anything you know
2: yeah
0: so i thought it was cool to have that that little moment where like Finn wouldn't confide in Poe about what he was going to tell Ray and there was that kind of tension there. They actually they had a moment where they were disagreeing about something. He said something like Leia understands. Leia and Ray understand or whatever. And he's like I'm not Leia. Yeah. I'm not Leia and he goes that's for damn sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. And like that I actually like really enjoyed that little bit of conflict because they are so close. It's like they're instantly brothers. So of course they're going to have that bit of tension it was it was cool to see i wish we would have seen more of that
2: agreed it's like me and ryan on tour you know <laughs> we're,
0: we're brothers but
2: every once in a while you know i'm like hey ryan you know put your sandals away <laughs> and he's like but you're not leia
1: and i'm like i know <laughs> you wear shower sandals i do i do wear shower shoes yeah for sure Never
2: in the way though
1: Now nope, if i find a little i find a little place to tuck them away
2: the only time I ever get upset with Ryan is when he never gets up early and has coffee with me. He gets yep. in the sl- sleeping in zone.
1: Yep. Well, I don't sleep at night on the bus. That's the problem. I can't fall asleep until we stop. So you're up and at you're up and at him, and I'm just going down for the night at eight a.m. for my three hour nap I get every day. Tour life, dude.
2: You fill your bunk with uh, what is it, carbonite? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I freeze myself in the mornings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um cool man so what uh i guess also you know part of um, you make
2: some pizza rolls No it's my washing machine i'm so sorry
1: That's all right we're doing it live we're doing it live we're Live Um you know part of part of what Adam and i have talked about with this podcast is having friends like you on um just from our time and our years through in the music world you know and kind of having that be something that might separate um thank the maker from from other star wars podcasts in a way so thanks for doing this and being here but one thing we want to do is say like what do you got going on like with the band and and i know there's a lot there's a lot of newfound glory in the world right now so share
2: yeah we just released a new song uh called the greatest of all time and video for that you know love song about finding your perfect match where you make a good team we reference uh beating the Chicago Bulls, the 96 Bulls, (laughs) basketball nerdism in there. But yeah, we got the new song. We announced the new record. It's called Forever and Ever Times Infinity. Comes out in May. We announced the tour. Us and Simple Plan are doing a co-headline tour called Pop Punk's Still Not Dead Tour. And we really like having fun with that term, kind of tongue-in-cheek. You know, kinda like poking fun at ourselves with this yeah, the whole yeah. still not dead. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's like the whole, wait, they're still a band. And it's like, yes, we are still a band, you know. <laughs> kind of thing. Like that. So um but yeah, tour went on sale and it's killing it and just kinda doing doing our thing, you know. We're in a we're in a fun um part of our career where we just kind of we have the diehard loyal fans, and we just kind of put the, throw together these ideas and give it our all, and it always uh, turns out like a, a good time. Our fans like to participate in all the releases and the tours, and it's really fun. So, right on, man. So, so we like to treat our band like Star Wars, you know? Yeah. Like a, a franchi- our franchise.
0: <laughs> like a bunch of Han Solos, like you, you keep going back to the shit that you knew. Can't stop. Exactly. Can't stop smuggling shit. <laughs> Here's the obligatory question: Since you guys are known for doing movie soundtrack albums, yeah, there's not much in Star Wars that you could do. No, but has that ever been in the in the discussion, or has it always been straight like um, popcorn uh, rom coms and eighties shit?
2: Yeah, more of the uh, we've we've never really dived into
1: orchestral arrangements.
2: <laughs> yeah, scores. Actually, we did one. We d- actually did the the score for Amelie. Because at the yeah. time like that movie was really trendy when we did part 2 so we just did that but you know we've never played it <laughs> but
1: yeah. we did well, it for the record should throw like a cantina band cover interlude into the next you know
0: dude i was about to say that <laughs> exact thing literally that or the ewok song yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that we were, that we were robbed of with the special edition bring that shit back
2: oh yep. really it's not in the special edition no man took oh. on people i know dude <laughs> But yeah, so we've never we've never done that. We always stick to the songs. Where we're like, okay, we can make this a newfound glory song. Right? How do we, you know we, we challenge right.
1: ourselves in that way? Like, I'm doing the, I'm doing the beat for the punk beat for the cantina song in my head. <laughs> yeah, it would work. That should work.
2: It would work. That would be sick. That's awesome. That's actually pretty funny. If we ever do another <laughs> one, like maybe not so much on the record, but live.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, it it be sick between songs.
0: Yeah, yep. That'd be dope. Cool. I have to ask also, what's your first Star Wars memory? How old are you again? We're about the same age ish. I am 38. You know, when I was your age, um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean
2: my first Star Wars memory, I guess is just, you know, with my, my older brother, you know, toys, go, buying the toys in the store, KB toys, you know, it was GI Joe and Star Wars, you know, yeah. that was like the thing. I don't remember any movie like theater memories. Like, you know, cuz uh, at the time I was
1: Yes, I I have I don't either really. I, I it's hard for me to put myself in a theater at age 6, you know. But, exactly. But, but the toys are a big one for me too.
2: Yeah, all the KB toy stuff um and I particularly KB toys cuz I actually can visualize the hall, not the hall, but the uh you know, the aisle and the KB toys at my mom yeah. had all the Star Wars stuff on the rack. You know, I envision that. I can remember that feeling. And and obviously, the way the, the, the backing cards of the toys were arranged and the, the designs and looking at well, the you're, back you're, of them and clicking which one I already had by the little pictures, you know. I,
1: yeah, and you're kind of a collector too. I mean, you're like, a, you collect toys and stuff like that, like vintage stuff and toys. And so that's actually probably really, really close to your heart is, is your Star Wars toys memories.
2: Mm hmm. And then. I remember uh like obviously the VHSs you know watching them at home yeah. with my brother and and all the different versions that came out and the but then I remember episode 1 2 and 3 I remember that whole launch and when they released the first one if you if you signed up like early and bought your tickets early you actually got a figure from the movie theater they gave you like a special edition figure cool and I remember my friend Jordan who's now in the 51st Legion is that
1: it? Five o first,
2: five yeah okay 501, right. Yep, he's yep. one of those. He's in that, and I remember him going early with like this like these cutters or something. They had the giant Star Wars like banner that the movie was coming out like hanging outside like really 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 high, and him going there like in the middle of the night with a giant ladder and cutting it. Oh shit!
0: I remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking gangster that's some rebel shit right there
2: yeah i actually have a crazy story of stealing something <laughs> star wars related this is real i don't know why i did this um but it was when burger king were doing the like the star wars uh toys like the little guys they were like it was like this big promotion when uh they read the movies like for home video or whatever and we were on tour somewhere i was on tour with someone in their van and uh we're in, in driving through louisiana or around new orleans middle of nowhere and there's a burger king with the giant and you can google it this giant darth vader on the roof like do you know like burger king the big blow-ups yeah so there's a giant giant darth vader and i don't know why i i ran inside the burger king and i was like this is like in the afternoon and i was like hey what are you gonna do with that vader and, you know, like, I don't know, I was like, huh, do you guys, do you got, what do you guys do with it? You throw it out. We, she's like, I don't know. I was like, all right. So I don't know why I did this, but I snuck around back to Burger King. Like I did a pull up, I, I did a pull up onto like the trash thing and then a pull up onto the roof, pulled out a knife, crawled <laughs> down, brought down <laughs> cut the, like, the, the, you know, the string or whatever, the cable that was holding it up, opened the thing, pushed it as fast as I could, told the band to open up their trailer, threw it in the trailer, and just took off and stole the giant Darth Vader from the Burger King.
1: That (laughs) that is a scene from a Kevin Smith movie. Like, you, we, he he should write that.
2: (laughs) I would never do that, but I, I now, like, I can't imagine, why did I do that? But I did that in broad daylight, and we took it, And actually, when Newfound Glory made our coming home record, we brought it to the studio. We recorded it coming home, like this, the coming home at this house, the Morning View house Mm -hmm. in Malibu. And we blew up the Darth Vader and we put it at the end of the pool. We would play (laughs) wiffle ball. And if you hit the Darth Vader with the ball, it was a home run.
0: That's awesome. That's amazing.
2: It lived with us for two months at the edge of the pool in Malibu.
0: (laughs) So you did that in the moment, like after you asked, it, what they were going to do with it. And you got no answer. You just went straight outside and fucking had a knife on you. Just like, just took
2: it. And and the thing about it, it was, I think how I justified it is that it was going to be, it was like the promotion was pretty much done. Right. And it was obviously like someone just, you know, like, I don't even think they had the toys anymore.
1: Right. It got way more use at the morning view house than it would have them just throwing it away in a week from time. So, you know what you did it? You did everyone a favor and, you save some waste, you know? Yes.
2: That was, it had to be 2005 because it was before coming home.
1: 2005 is when Revenge of the Sith came out. So yeah, that's, oh, how, yeah. that's probably what, when they were running that promotion.
0: There you go. So, right so
1: on, Always, baby. Cool. Uh, Adam, should we do, should we uh, jump in the test bay? Let's do it. All right.
0: I have uh, two of the three. We're going to have to come up with something for Would You Rather. So we do this, uh, we do this lightning round. We're going to ask you a couple questions. Be quick, if you like, or uh, ponder on it. It's up to you. (laughs) These are pretty straightforward. Pronunciation. Falcon or falcon? Falcon. Falcons. Since you were a kid, always falcon?
2: Yeah, never falcon.
1: Always falcon. I always said falcon, too.
2: Always falcon, because I just thought about a falcon,
0: like, flying. When I was a kid... I didn't make the connection. I said falcon until I was like 13. And I was like, oh, like a falcon, like a bird. Why the fuck does he say it like that? You know, I was, (laughs) it didn't click.
2: Even if I thought it was falcon, I would pronounce it falcon.
1: Because of my, uh, your southern roots,
2: my Kentucky heritage,
0: man, that millennium falcon, man, getting the falcon, getting the falcon. All right. Uh, favorite things while we're on the topic, favorite ship in the star Wars universe. Star Destroyer, old school or original trilogy. Yeah, lit. Did you have? Um, was there a toy back in the day
2: of that? Yeah, there was a giant Star Destroyer. Yeah,
0: yeah. it was pretty limited
1: at run. Like it, it was like the, uh, it was like the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. Oh, word. they were they were like seven feet long, but they didn't make a whole. Once they were gone, they were gone. Yeah, it was huge because they were expensive.
2: Did you ask me my favorite toy from Star Wars?
1: No, but feel free to share. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
2: I love the um, the classic of uh, the Hut scene. Mm-hmm. That box set,
0: yeah. I yeah. found
2: one recently, used, and I got it from my brother for the birthday present.
0: Awesome, that's dope.
1: Cool, man. Well, Mister Gilbert, dude, thank you.
2: No more uh, speed round questions.
1: Uh, that's it. I, that was it, right? We do have a little thing you could throw in on this if you want. We have a segment called Tashi Station where we just like throw out something cool we're like using, like a movie we saw. Like I did a couple of weeks ago my new Google home Wi-Fi.
0: Like non-Star Wars stuff.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have to be Star Wars related. Like is there something that you're like into right now, like uh like a book you're reading or a or a show you're watching or a gadget you're using that you're like really stoked on?
2: The show I'm watching that's killing right now is uh The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> the Bachelor is killing it, but no, for real, the outsider on on HBO. It's unbelievable.
1: Cool. I haven't started it yet.
2: It's unbelievable. It's, it's just starting to ramp up. It's kind of like it starts out where it feels like a true detective kind of vibe, and then all of a sudden it becomes semi-supernatural, and you don't even know. I don't even know what it is, and I don't know what's happening, but it's awesome. Cool. I'll check
0: it out. Who's in it? Who's the star?
2: It's, um, it's, uh, it's uh, Jason, Jason
1: Bateman. Bateman. Sick.
2: But it's more than, than him.
1: Ben, ben Mendelssohn play- played director Krennic in Rogue One, Is the, is the star of The Outsider.
0: Nice, pumped for Chad, that shit. Thanks
1: for doing this, dude. So much. Like, I mean, obviously, um, newfound glory is a huge part of both mine and Adam's life, and many of the people listening to this podcast. So, um, super cool to have you on, and thanks for the support and being here, man.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. It's fun. Anytime you need me back.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. There's, there's endless hours of Star Wars to talk about. So I'm sure we can have you back for another one. That'd be awesome. Sounds good. Fuck okay. yeah. All right. All right, dude.
0: May the, may the force be with you. You too. Bye. So let's wrap it up as we always do with a quote of the week. This one is by our beloved Anthony Daniels, who, funny enough, actually replied to our Thank the Maker Instagram account. We posted about his birthday. I fucked it up. <laughs> I said he was 73. It was his 73rd birthday. turns out he's 74, so he replied with, Actually, seventy three was last year, but thanks anyway.
1: But he and replied. We just, he wrote. He, he replied. <laughs> we were freaking out. We were, we were like, we were
0: honored to be corrected.
1: Yeah, it was like we were like teenage girls in nineteen ninety nine
0: getting an autograph from Britney Spears level excited. So we felt it appropriate to close this podcast about the final installment of the Skywalker saga with a quote by the only person who's been in every single one of these films. Anthony Daniels as C3PO. Anthony Daniels uh, has an autobiography called I Am C3PO, The Inside Story. See what he did there? The quote is about him getting the role of C3PO. So he says, George and I talked. An hour passed. Surely we both had things to do. There was a silence. Nervously, please, may I play the part? George paused. Then quietly. Sure. Not even a word. Hardly a syllable. A sound. A small sound above the London traffic. It changed my life. Anthony Daniels. That is
1: such a good quote. Dude.
0: It changed our lives too, man.
1: Yeah. very. I think that's an appropriate uh, period at the end of this sentence. Because this is the last film of a story that
0: changed our lives too. Our entire lifetimes, this, this has been with us. It's appropriate. It's fitting. So let's wrap it up uh, fully and tell us where the peoples can find you on the internet. Ryan key. I'm on
1: the webs at William Ryan key everywhere. First name, William, middle name, Ryan, last name key
0: at me. I'm on all of the things, all the social media shit at Adam, the skull.
1: You guys can find the podcast. On Instagram, at ThinkTheMakerPod, P-O-D. P-O-D. Um, on Twitter, at thinkthemaker one It's just the number one at the end. Um, and we would be really stoked if you got on the train to support us over at Patreon.com. We're using that as a way to take listener submitted content suggestions for segments and shows and questions and things all things Star Wars and all things Ryan and Adam as well so um, if we get to a point also you know where we have guests coming up and we can announce them in advance questions for guests things like that it will all be accessible through Patreon so it's patreon.com thankthemakerpod thank pod again POD at the end
0: not the band shout out to Samir I do feel pretty alive right now though so thanks again for listening and until next week may the force be with you